So hunting with hope. Let's hunt for the hope that's the hope against hope. And for me, hunting against hope the past four years has meant recalling that no prevailing season of fear or politician lasts forever. Every dog may have its day, but the sun rises and the sun sets, sunrise, sunset, and all flesh is grass and withers and fades while God endures forever. The great influence. This is the Red-Headed Preacher, Richard Lanford, um, and I'm the Red-Headed Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. We're an open and affirming congregation within the United Church of Christ. This message is called Hunting for Hope, and it's kind of keyed because of the Advent season and in this service, not included in the podcast, is the lighting of the first Advent candle, which is, in our tradition, the candle of hope. The passages, uh, which are read by our elector, Ben Westfall, are Isaiah 64, 1 through 9, Mark 13, I believe that's 24 through 37, and the epistle is... Uh, I'm not, it's not in front of me and I'm not remembering it. Uh, so I ask your uh, indulgence. You'll hear it in a few moments so you'll know what it is. Um, and thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoy what you hear and that you find some more ways to access or, or perceive hope. Our first reading for the first Sunday of Advent is Isaiah 64 verses 1 through 9. It begins as a prayer that God reveals himself in power as days of old, moves to a prayer of confession, and then pleads that the Lord turn away from anger and have compassion again on his people. Reading from Isaiah, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood. And the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When did awesome deeds that we did not expect you came down? The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and in our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. 
There is no one who calls in your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us to the hands of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our God. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O God, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider we are all your people. This ends the reading from Isaiah. Our epistle lesson is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. This passage begins as a thanksgiving, but shifts into words of encouragement as they wait the second coming of Christ. It helps to remember that the first century church believed Christ might well come back while they were still on earth. From 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, Grace to you and peace from our God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gifts as they wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This ends the epistle reading. Today, as the church begins what is called Year B in the church calendar, the Sunday Gospel lessons move from mostly Matthew to readings from Mark. So today's reading is Mark 13, verses 24 through 37. Jesus has been talking to disciples about the signs of the end of the age and the return of the Son of Man. From the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, but in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. From the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about the day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be aware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, 
or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Here ends the reading from uh, the Gospel of Mark and the scripture for this morning's service. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, sings Isaiah, and you or I might add, and bring a surefire, easily distributable vaccine for COVID-19 with you. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down and restart the worldwide economy. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down and heal the many divisions and injustices in the world. And in our land, tearing open the heavens or not, some of our hopes are not beyond reason for God to be involved in. God is involved in these efforts to create or expand shalom, wholeness. And God's involved in God's usual way, not the only way, but God's usual way, which is through other people. But Isaiah's call out to the Lord and the Apostle Paul's and Jesus in Mark 13, they are all beyond what God does through people. They're about the arrival of Christ directly, either in Israel's time or the end time. Specifically, Jesus is talking about what the theme for the first Sunday in Advent has always been, according to the cycle of readings, the second Advent or the return of Christ. As we heard Ben read, Jesus spoke about signs of the end, climaxing with the Son of Man's arrival after the sun is darkened, and even the powers in the heavens shall be shaken. The stars are falling from the sky. And he continued, Then they will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds, with power and great glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Paul referred to basically the same future event when he wrote of the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so you may not be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, I, and countless others are hunting for hope in an historically deadly and difficult year. What we get at first blush on the first Sunday of Advent are passages about the miraculous return of Christ on what Israelites called the Day of the Lord. I will never discount that or its value, especially to the early church as it grew in the midst of repression and persecution. But having said that, I will share that this foretold event is one that I struggle with. Will Christ come again just as he said? Or are we to reinterpret this as something metaphorical and yet also very real? I mean, we know the clouds are symbols of the presence of God to save. Check Exodus. But I admit that sometimes the utter fantasticness of it all confounds me. 
What do you think when you hear these passages? How do you understand these words? The second arrival of Christ was a huge deal for the early church, and you can tell by reading the New Testament. Paul thought, as Ben said, the first century, they thought it was coming soon. Parables of Jesus in Matthew 25 indicate the bridegroom or the master or the householder have been on long journeys and delayed, or we don't know when they are coming back, indicating the early church is already wondering what's going on with no return yet. It filled the return of Christ. It filled and still fills loads of sermons. Hunting for hope as a Christian, should never forget these words of promise and accountability, even as they might perplex us. Yet is there no hope for us and our world grounded in faith, which also animates our works of love? Surely our hunt for hope will not come upon what by some is derisively called pie in the sky by and by, and nothing else. I'd like to share with you what I think of as a reminder about how to think about hope. I am Facebook friends with some of my seminary friends, one of whom lived across the hall from me for two years. Stephen Carl posted this recently when writing about Romans 4.18, where it said Abraham was hoping against hope. He believed that he would become the father of many nations. Now, hoping against hope. How do you hope against hope? Stephen cleared it up for me. Because I always thought it was kind of a dumb phrase. He wrote, It requires a certain kind of context, a certain set of circumstances to understand the biblical challenge to hope against hope. It means to let one's hope be informed and transformed and amplified and enhanced and equipped by faith. To hope against hope is to set aside or supplant the hope that is no more than wishful thinking and in its place establish a hope that is based on a greater justice and truth than mere desire. The lesser hope goes no farther than hoping, casting one's dream into the world of multiple options. The hope against hope, however, is hope with muscle. It is a verb with feet and hands, soul and will. Such is the context in which we live and the circumstances in which we struggle. May we hope against hope. So if you and I accept that, let's remember that the hope we hunt for is that hope with muscle, based on a greater truth and justice than mere desires. It is interwoven with our faith in those things, the source of which is God. It does not replace our ultimate hope in Christ's return when all labors for the realm of God shall be vindicated and fulfilled, 
It is, as the hymn goes, for the living of this hour. So hunting with hope. Let's hunt for the hope that's the hope against hope. And for me, hunting against hope the past four years has meant recalling that no prevailing season of fear or politician lasts forever. Every dog may have its day, but the sun rises and the sun sets, sunrise, sunset, and all flesh is grass and withers and fades while God endures forever. The great influenza of 1918-1919 is gone. The Great Depression ended. The Vietnam War ended. Something Jesus teaches in Mark 13 is that nothing of our time will last. God gets the last word. And we see in our own timeline that things change, sometimes greatly for the better. That gives us hope that perhaps shalom can advance. History keeps moving, even though sometimes it seems to be circular. If you, it, seem, it keeps moving. God sees the big picture, and although we cannot see it, to believe there is one and that God knows what it is emboldens our hope against hope. It encourages us to keep up the hunt for hope. As George Harrison sang, all things must pass, all things must pass away, except our hope. That is something I personally have held on to, that difficult times can last a long time, but they don't last forever. Reverends Bladell and Barclay of Enfleshed.com perhaps put it better. As shared by the pastor of Skokie's Central United Methodist Church, they wrote, and I quote, People are waiting. People have always been waiting. For justice to come, for a minute to rest, for a future free from oppressive death-dealing systems. We cannot predict how long any given era will remain. We only know it will not be forever. Whether the era is defined by exile, pandemics, anti-black or anti-Palestinian violence, or human destruction of the earth. In the waiting, active as it may be, it can feel like God has hidden God's face. They continue. So much suffering and unnecessary loss. When there is perseverance and no change. Repentance and it's not lasting. Collective labors that have not revealed their fruit. How do we press on? The gospel encourages us no era of evil will last forever. Whatever it is now, it will not always be. This is not because God swoops in as an outside force, but because God moves within and between, stirring the people's hearts to rise and resist and repent of complicity with evil. They continue, and with this, this is the end of their quote. We do not know the day or the hour when the scales will tip, 
when the change of seasons will come, when the end of a destructive era will be the beginning of something new. But we wait actively with hope. I add, as hope against hope, hope with muscle and soul and will. Having said all this and wanting to come to a close, in the struggle with the miraculous on hold, but accepted, in addition to what I've shared with you, here is a little bit more of what I pack in my soul bag as I go hunting for hope. Maybe you'll pack them too. One of the things seems to come right off of what I said five minutes ago. One of the things I pack comes from Jesus saying, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God outlasts everyone and everything that opposes God's will of grace and discipleship. Jesus' words will not pass away. God's realm will prevail. And alongside that is a standout verse in Isaiah 64. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. God's words will not pass away. God also meets those who gladly do right and remember God's ways. And one later way this happens is found in St. Paul. Speaking of our own preparation for meeting Christ, most likely not when we encounter him in our lives on earth, but beyond this earth, he wrote of the Lord, he will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is faithful. God will strengthen you and me for these days. And if we live until the day, we'll gear us up for that too. We cannot do this on our own, nor should we try to do it alone. So putting in that hunting sack, Christ's words will not pass away. The realm of God will stand over all God's enemies and hypocrites. God meets those, God meets those who gladly do right and strengthen them, us, if we do right, to the end, whenever that is for you and me. Lastly, something I put in my bag, the plea from the prophet sounds like the one the Lord will respond to with mercy. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember our iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. That sounds a little like what Rose Sayer, or Catherine Hepburn, meant by her prayer in The African Queen when they thought they were going to die. Asking for mercy from the God who made us 
and gave us his son to bring us back to God is something else in my bag as I hunt for hope. In faith, a God who has a love like that for our fallen human race is perhaps the biggest reason to have hope in God that there is. Now consider, we are all your people. I hope this helps all of us when we feel that we need to go hunting for hope. Amen. Something different about this message, uh, which I do hope you found meaningful, is that it was near the end of the service. We, in Advent, have are playing around a little for the season, not only with some new music, but also with the placement of the message within the service. And so, again, I hope you found this uh, worth listening to. And as I've been frequently saying now, if you did enjoy it, tell somebody else. Maybe we'll have some more listeners. But I appreciate everyone who does. Tune us in to listen to the message because this is for you guys. It's not for me. And uh, ultimately, it's all for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you once again. And next week, it will be uh, the message will be out of the electionary passages for the second Sunday of Advent. We'll be lighting the candle of peace. And I expect the passages will include Isaiah 40, first 11 verses, and uh, Mark chapter 1, 1 through 8. Not quite sure if we're doing the epistle or not. So thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.